you're listening to That's the Industry Podcast, episode number 37. Today, we're talking about stress and grief during the pandemic, understanding why it's happening and how to fix it. Here we go. You're listening to That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. The podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry. Directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here for another episode. Today, we are talking to founder and CEO of Grow Counseling. She is a licensed psychologist with over 20 years of experience. You'll recognize her from episode two, Wendy Dickinson. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, It's always great talking to you. Now, uh, just in case people didn't listen to episode two, uh, how did you get started with everything? <laughs> That's a big question. Yeah, I know, All the right? things. Um, well, we've, uh, so I went to grad school for an obscenely long time. And when I finished with that, I started um, a counseling practice in Atlanta, a private practice individual, and realized that, you know, I couldn't specialize in everything. I couldn't help everyone. And I also wanted to work really more with a team. And so we started putting together the best of the best. And I'm a little biased, but we have 30 um, of the best therapists that I've been able to find on our team. And we work together. And so we always say that if you're between the ages of two and 92, we probably have somebody on our team who can help you. I love it, but we're just going to dive right in because just in case you didn't notice, we are in a pandemic right now. We have been for a few months now, and it is a little stressful. Stress, I feel like, is an understatement. Would you agree? <laughs> yes, yes. So I've I've been talking to a lot of people about this, my clients, and you know other opportunities that I get. And one of the things that I think is really helpful to understand is that things that make a stressful event more stressful are things that are um, unknown, unpredictable, and don't have an end point. Those are those are kind of the three characteristics of really stressful things: unknown, unpredictable, and don't have an end point, which basically describes everything that we're dealing with right now. So, yeah, stress stress is significant for almost everyone. And what have you seen more so recently with clients? What has been like number one stresses in their lives? So, I I think that a lot of what people are dealing with is just this overarching change, and it, it's been a forced change, right? So it's not something people have chosen. Um, all of a sudden, uh, their routines are different or completely obliterated. Um, things that they would have normally done to kind of decrease stress and take care of themselves aren't available. You know, hanging out with friends, going to the gym, traveling. Uh, people are finding themselves having to work and live in the same space. And so there's a lot of time at home, Kids can't go to school, so they're at home. You're trying to juggle all these different activities. You maybe have limited sources of support. So there's there's a lot of these factors that increase people's stress level right now. And how are people dealing with it that you've seen? I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of people are falling apart. Um, you know, certainly there are people who are more resilient than other people. But I think if we pull back the layers and are really honest, a lot of people, a lot of us are having a really hard time 
with it. Um, and maybe there's some good days and bad days, but um, I think overall, you know, what we're seeing as a whole are people have been carrying the stress for a long time now and you get weary and you get exhausted and you become more fragile and brittle and things that you would have normally been able to kind of handle really well or rise to the occasion for are feeling harder and harder. Yeah, because like you mentioned, whether it's a money thing, a stress thing, everybody being on top of each other, and it's just kind of put everybody into a tailspin. And even if you could work through it, it's almost like everything is just shifting and pushing everything to the forefront and you either deal with it or you get out of the situation. Right, right. I was talking to somebody the other day about how, you know, if you pick up a two pound weight, you're like, no big deal. This is two pounds, you know, but if you carry the two pound weight around with you all day long, it starts to feel pretty significant. And, and you know, some of the things that people are dealing with are what we would consider kind of insignificant and annoying, um, maybe two pound weight kind of issues. And other people are dealing with things that are really significant, very heavy. They've lost their jobs overnight, their income sources. They've um, they had family members that have been sick or passed away. And so they're carrying 10 pound weights, 20 pound weights around with them all the time. And you just reach a point of exhaustion with it. And what do you say to somebody who is carrying around these 10, 25, 45 pound weights? So I, I think when it comes to stress, there's, um, we can't always change the stressor, right? Like there are things in our lives that come along that are outside of our control. And so we can't change that we have a pandemic. We can't necessarily change immediately what profession people are in or whether they have access to work. So some of these things are outside of our control. Um, It's important to understand that because I think it's not sufficient to just say, hey, you need to decrease the stress in your life, (laughs) right? Like that would be nice. Where's that button? How How do I turn that volume down, you know? So when we can decrease the stressors, right? But recognize that a lot of times those things are outside of our control. And so the other option we have is to build up the good, to build up the, the coping resources that we have to deal with the stress. So if we just kind of go, okay, we know we're going to have some stress in our lives. What are the things that we can do that help us be a better version of ourselves? help us feel more restored and refilled and renewed so that we have something to be able to draw from when we're dealing with a stressor? And those don't always have to be huge or complex or challenging. Those can be little things like, um, you know, one example is changing the temperature in a room. Um, you know, uh, sometimes I find I'm really sensitive to temperature and if it's too cold or too hot, don't call me dramatic, but <laughs> it, it, can <laughs> really, <laughs> it can really affect me or the lighting in a room. Yeah. You know, I find if I turn off overhead lights and turn on lamps, like that shifts my mood a little bit. And so I think a lot of times it can be paying attention to these little things that sort of ding our stress and increase it if we're not paying attention. Um, There's a lot of other bigger things we can do to build up coping resources. But, you know, whatever those are, we have to be renewing and refilling our buckets. Otherwise, we don't have anything to give. Even when you bring this up to people, is there still a lot of pushback? I don't, I wouldn't call it pushback as in resistance. I think people are feeling tapped out. And so figuring out how to do something new or what to do in and of itself feels like additional stress, you Mm -hmm. know? And so what I've been doing with clients and what I've been suggesting is, 
you know, make making list of things, you know, when you feel like you have a moment where you can go, okay, what is it that's good for me? What fills me up? Because these things are different for for everyone. Um, You know, is it taking a bath? Is it going for a walk? Is it calling a friend? Maybe it's not calling a friend. (laughs) You know, like, is it is it turning off all social media, putting on some jazz music and making dinner, you know, like, what is it that helps to kind of recenter you make a list when you feel like you have a little bit of breathing room to do that. That way, when you feel stressed, it's not an additional stress to try to figure out how do you manage the stress, right? So there's something to reference and something to, to go back to. It almost sounds like, not to get woo-woo on you, but like almost like a mindset type thing. I like woo-woo. I love I, I woo-woo. <laughs> but there's some people I'm who don't. I'm not sure that's a problem. Like, <laughs> I, lo- I love the woo, but. Yeah, it's no, so- it's, I definitely think it's a mindset. I always say to my clients, what you focus on is what grows. What you focus on is what grows. The, it's a principle um, of, of confirmatory bias is the psychological concept behind it. So it's the idea that you find what you're looking for, right? So if you're walking along outside and there's a body of water, a lake of some kind, and there's something floating on top and you're trying to figure out what animal is floating on top of the water, you probably don't look for stripes because you think it might be a zebra, here in Atlanta, you know, you probably don't look for hooves because you think it might be a cow floating on the water. You probably look for bird feathers or beak or, you know, something because you think it might be a bird. So we we look, we find what we're looking for, right? Um, the same thing with stress in our lives. You know, if we're focused 100% of the time on the stressors, that's what we're going to find. We're going to find the stress. And the reality is the stress is there. We don't have to look for it to find it. But what we might overlook if we're not looking for it are the positive things, the support systems we have or the helpers in our life that are there, people that just do kind things, um, you know, resources that we might have missed otherwise. And what are some ways to get out of that negative mindset? Because I try to put things into perspective too. And like what I get stressed about, like I'm very self-aware that I always think of like, it could be a lot worse, but you know, there are those times you're super stressed and you've got, you know, your significant other freaking out about something, your kids are doing this, you just lost your job. I'm not going to snap out of the non-stressful thing just like that. So what is something people can do to really start to like focus in on that to basically de-escalate the situation? There's no snapping out of any of this. I think that's an important thing for people to understand. Um, I, I really think that part of this is understanding how all this works so that when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel confusing or ominous. You have a name to put on it. Because I think when you can name something, you take the power away from it. Um, it doesn't feel so unknown and so scary. So one of, one of the things that I think is helpful to understand is that your brain, from a biochemical standpoint, doesn't know the difference between what's real and what you imagine. So it's the reason that if you're asleep at night, you're having a dream, somebody's chasing you, you wake up and you're like breathing hard and you're sweating and the covers are all a wreck is because your brain was responding biochemically as if you were actually being chased by somebody. And of course, when you wake up, your breathing slows down and you're like, oh, thank God I'm not really being chased and all those pieces merge, right? But your brain is going to respond the same way. So if we are rehearsing the stress over and over and over again, we're worried about something in the future, your brain is going to respond biochemically as if it's actually happening, 
Like it's going to feel like you've, you've lost another job or you're, you know, destitute or you haven't been able to find more work or whatever it is that you're stressed about. You mentioned significant other, you know, he or she's going to, you know, have another argument or things are going to blow up. All of that's in the future. So I always say to clients, plan for the future, but live in the present, right? So make a plan. Don't be naive. Don't put your head in the sand, but don't live in the future. The future is where the anxiety and the worry are. If we ask ourselves, most of us in most moments, if we ask ourselves, am I okay right now? The answer is yes. In this moment, I'm okay right now. And so I think that's an important piece of it is to recognize that the more we stay focused on what might happen, the more biochemically our body is going to be activated and that most of those things in the future we can plan for, but we can't do anything about right now. And so if we live in the present, it helps to kind of de-escalate our body's response to the stress and the anxiety and the worry. And it's just so interesting how these like little tweaks can like just change everything to go back to the mindset thing. And then even you mentioned whether it's, you know, a certain type of music I've found is I've seen like ads on YouTube with like meditation or something, but it's those bowls, those sound bowls. Uh uh And I'm not even paying attention. And regardless if I'm stressed or not, it is just immediate like, Ooh, like this is relaxing. (laughs) Right. We're big fans of the spa music at our house, spa and smooth jazz. Those are, (laughs) those are the ones we're always yelling at Alexa to start playing. (laughs) It almost sounds like an elevator, you know, but good, good tunes. No. And it's funny because I actually spoke to a gong therapist and I did gong. Have you ever seen gong therapy or heard? of it no that Uh, sounds fantastic I didn't know what it was either I didn't do any research before I went it was really (laughs) fascinating because the guy was a uh, agent and then he went full-time into this gong therapy and I laid on this table and there's a gong like six minutes six minutes six inches from me and he had all these other like soothing you have the bowls all these other instruments it was fascinating quite fascinating but it just completely de-stressed and that's just one simple thing. Yeah. And, uh, what did you say? It wasn't music, but there was something else. you Temperature, said. light. Yeah. Temperature. Yeah. Cause I feel like if it's too hot, mm-hmm. I feel people get really mm-hmm. irritated, yeah, especially in Georgia. The, the where panic it's- and the yeah, anxiety sets in. Yeah. I, th- I think another really simple thing is to focus on gratitude. And again, it sounds a little hokey, maybe a little woo woo, you know, obviously gratitude isn't going to change the stressors that we are experiencing, but it changes our perspective. And what it does is it helps us recognize that there's other good in the world or that everything in our world isn't falling apart or that there are people and resources available to us, um, even in the smallest of ways to help support us. So what I'll suggest to my clients is, you know, start off with five things a day. You know, make a journal, five things a day. Here's the catch. You can't repeat any of them day to day. So you can't be grateful for your dog every single day, right? (laughs) (laughs) The dog can go on the first list, but not on the next day list. And so what your goal is to get to 100 or get to 1,000 things that you're grateful for. It's pretty easy the first week after that. It starts to get, you really have to have developed and cultivated a sense of curiosity, you know, and paying attention to what you're going to be grateful for throughout the day, because then you have to get to the end of the day and come up with five things. So 
Um, I, I think it's a great way to kind of shift our perspective a little bit so that instead of looking for the bad, we're actually proactively looking for the good. And it's interesting you say that because I follow a lot of entrepreneurs too, and they say the same thing to have a gratitude journal. And it sounds a little hokey until you do it. And maybe it's just like, since I've gotten a little bit older, it's, I've really got a sense of how powerful being grateful for something can be. And once you put it to paper, you're like, okay. And like you said, it's life changing. Yeah. yeah, Like after a week, I'm sure it gets harder and harder and harder, but yeah. And this is something that no matter what age you are, what season of life you're in or socioeconomic status, you, this is something you can always do, you know, because all of us can look out the window and see a rainbow. There was one the other day in the midst of all this rain we've been having, you know, and I was like, man, I'm going to put that on my list because that was the most beautiful rainbow I've ever seen, you know, I have a client who is a school teacher, fourth grade, and she does this with her kids every day is has them come in and start with a gratitude journal entry. And she said it has made a world of difference, like in the tone of the classroom, because Mm. they're all looking for ways to be grateful for each other. Of course, that was back when students were actually in classrooms. but (laughs) But I think the principle still applies that even kids, kids can benefit from it and understand that it makes a difference. That'd be super fascinating to see what they would write. Cause you, what's going on in a fourth grader's mind? Right? I have no clue. Yeah. But, and I've also heard, and I don't know if you've heard this as well, where if you are having just a crappy day or it's super stressful, find somebody either you haven't spoken to in a while or just a friend and literally call them. Yeah. And just tell them how awesome they are and what, they mean to you, Mm -hmm. which kind of goes along with the grateful thing. Totally, totally. And the other thing I'd add to that is um, I back up for a minute and say stress over time becomes a crisis. If you if you're in stress for a long amount of time, it becomes a crisis. And then crisis over time, crisis extended becomes a trauma. And what we know to be true is that our relational connections help insulate us from the negative effects of trauma. So that whole idea of connecting with somebody who's helpful and supportive in your life isn't just a good idea. It's actually critical to helping insulate us from those negative effects of everything that we're experiencing right now. And I know that you say can this stress can lead to crisis. Why do you think people put it on the back burner? It's like, oh, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes a week, a month, years, and mm-hmm. then it just piles up to mm-hmm. crisis. Mm-hmm. I I think that there are probably several reasons for that. But again, one of them, I think, goes back to just understanding how stress works. Um, I, I use a real simple scale with my clients, green, yellow, red. Um, most Americans live in maybe bright yellow or orange even. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a pandemic or stock market in crisis to push them into red. And so when you live at such an elevated level, I think there's a piece of it that's like, just keep going, keep going. I'm going to get through this. But we never actually make those kind of fundamental core changes, even just to our outlook or our perspective, you know, to, to help insulate us from some of that stress. So it doesn't, we never actually get down into the green zone. So that's what I work with a lot of my clients on is like, how do we get you? Yeah, you have a really intense job, or you have a lot of responsibility, or you're a mom of three, or you're going through a divorce. But how do we manage the things that we can to get you down to green, so that you're not constantly living on this edge of of crisis all the time? What does red look like? Well, you know, different for different people, obviously, Um, it, it can look 
mostly one of the the characteristics is that people don't function the way that they would normally function. So they they stop functioning at the level or the capacity. Things that that worked for them before don't work anymore. You know, maybe they have a hard time thinking clearly, a hard time problem solving, um, a hard time managing all the responsibilities that they have. Um, a change in their ability to parent or to show up well for their job or their career. Um, so there's that you you kind of you look for significant changes that that prevent them from being able to be the best version of themselves. They feel paralyzed in some way. I was going to say, and, and I'm sure they mentally and physically feel paralyzed, but emotionally, what kind of level is red? Is that like yeah. massive panic? Or are we talking? Yeah. So we look at significant anxiety, significant depression, suicidal ideation, thoughts about hurting themselves, hurting other people. Um, you know, any, anything that kind of feels like it's that out of control feeling. Um, so, so the level of anxiety that one person might feel, uh, may be different from somebody else that's, and both of them are in the red zone, but this idea that like, it keeps you from being able to do things that gets in your way. It feels like a heavy burden. Those are the things that would characterize a red zone experience. And have you experienced somebody who's in the red, like, I mean, you can just tell just by looking at them before you even sit down for a session? Sure. I mean, people who, you know, you might you might see physical symptoms of anxiety, somebody who's, like you said, having a panic attack, they're sweaty, they're breathing hard, they're agitated. Or you might see somebody on the other end of things where they've, they're really shut down. So maybe there's this kind of glassy look in their eye, they're sort of staring, they're not connecting, they take a long time to answer questions seem really depressed, they're sad, they're crying, those kinds of things. So people respond differently, but you're looking at, if you look at it on a continuum, you're looking at kind of one one end on a more extreme kind of response. And what is typically your response to kind of gear them to a yellow or green zone? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that therapists do really well that we're trained to do is to help people problem solve. Because when they get to that red zone, you see just kind of a sense of, um, you know, inability to problem solve comes up because you're overwhelmed. You're too close to the situation. A lot of times what you've been trying to problem solve all along and it's not working. And so a therapist has an outside point of view. We have some tools in our toolbox that maybe, you know, everybody else doesn't have. Um, and it's not the first time we've probably encountered whatever the situation is. And so there are a lot of times when I'm able to say, hey, you might not know this, but here are these resources, or let's look at it this way. Or if we take this apart, what's what do we need to start with? Like, let's prioritize the most important things. I also think that w- one of my supervisors used to say, we're vendors of hope. And I love that idea. It's like, I have a little cart of hope, and I'm just going to like roll it up to you and offer you some hope. But it's kind of like, I think the most accessible idea is like when you are physically ill and you go to the doctor and you're, you know, you're sitting in the room, the doctor comes in and they say, we've run the test and here's what we know. And then they talk a lot and you're kind of like, what are you talking about? And there's all this stuff. And really at the end of the day, we just want to know, Hey, am I going to get better? Like, when am I going to start feeling better? You know, is it 24 hours? Is it the antibiotic? Like, what what is it that's going to help me feel better? And so if from a counseling perspective, I think that's one of the things we can offer is hope. And we can say, hey, this is not the first time I've walked through this with somebody. And I know you're stuck in this. And I know it's hard. And it feels overwhelming and scary. But people come out on the other side. And I know how to help get you there. And we're going to set up a plan. And we're going to give you some tools. And we're going to get you 
feeling better and get you moved through this. Um, you know, there's there's nobody so far in my career that I've met who wants to get better, who who can't, you know? And so I think if they're willing to do the hard work, then there's there's a path forward. Is there usually a night and day difference between that first session if they're in the red than the second? Like, is it almost night and day or is it? Oh yeah, they're totally healed by the second session. Yeah. I rarely do more I'm than good. <laughs> I rarely do more than two sessions with people. <laughs> no, I mean all, all seriousness. I, you know, sometimes there are some really basic kind of things that we can do and offer to people that that help move them forward pretty quickly, and so they start to see a relief in the symptoms, um, if we we call them that. Um, and sometimes things are big and heavy and it takes us a while to get the the ball rolling. So, uh, you know, I look for any change session to session, not necessarily, you know, is it dramatic? Although certainly we hope for that. Are people still resisting reaching out for help during these crazy times? I, th- I think part of what gets in the way for people is just not knowing where to help or who to call or who to ask. You know, I think there are a lot of people that are like, yeah, therapist would be really helpful right now. Also, I've got 900 things going on and 10 Zoom calls to be on at the same time. And where do I even start with that? You know, um, we've been doing a ton of um, distance counseling. Telemental health is the fancy word for it. Um, but basically, it's counseling over secure platforms. And the thing that we're hearing from people is that their experience in that is as good as coming into the office. And so people are loving it because they can fit it in around all the responsibilities that they have. They don't have to leave the house if they don't feel safe doing that. Um, And we're able to help them right where they are. So it's been a great platform to be able to use with people. And that's what I like about your company is because you're provide because like you said, a lot of people don't know where to get help and mm-hmm. you've created a platform where if you can help them, you will direct them on where to go. Exactly. We're, um, we have therapists that are licensed in multiple states. So, um, we may have somebody who can, who can, wherever you are, may be able to, to provide, um, counseling or support, but if not, we'll help you figure out how to get connected with somebody in your area who can help you. As far as for people like reaching out to get help and not really kind of knowing, is it best to just maybe shoot you guys a, you know, an email or a phone call? We've created a page on our website. So growcounseling.com slash resources, growcounseling.com slash resources. And we've created a bunch of resources that are free to anyone to download. Um, we've got our own podcast there specific to mental health issues, a lot of them specific to pandemic topics. We've created an ebook um, that's free on self-care. So that's the building up the good piece that we were talking about. Um, and then I've recorded some videos on stress, some of the stuff we're talking about today. I go into some more more depth on some of it. Um, that people can access. So if if that's kind of a good starting point is if people aren't ready to reach out maybe for a therapist and go all in, just to kind of poke around on our website, get some free resources, get a sense of of how therapists talk and what talking to somebody might sound like. Um, and then from there, we've got a form people can fill out on the website if they want more information. Um, they let us know where they are and we'll connect them with people we have in our network. I would hate for somebody to not know where to go and what to do. And like you said, I think you said that was like the biggest issue because I think I shared this with you last time when we first interviewed for episode two, 
I had sent it to my editor and like a few other people just to see kind of what they thought. And I got like an overwhelming response and it hadn't even been posted yet. So I, I think that is just so important, especially for people who don't. Well, I, I honestly think that if we if we look for the good and we practice what we were just talking about, I think that's one of the benefits that comes from all of this is there's there's been kind of a um, level of vulnerability, I think, with people talking about mental health and how important it is to, to connect with the support system and maybe a therapist is part of that. Um, it's a conversation that people weren't really having as freely before. So I, I love that there is a, a an acknowledgement that, hey, we're we're not all okay right now. Like not everybody is doing okay. And we need to get past that initial answer of like, Hey, how's it going? Great. I'm fine. I'm good to like, no, but really that's, that's nice. Also, how are you really doing? You know, because people are struggling and it's what we're carrying is heavy. We, we were talking before we started the podcast about this idea of collective grief. And I don't think people are necessarily labeling what we're experiencing grief, but that's the process is, we're, there's a lot of loss right now that we're dealing with. And normally, if you were in a community, a neighborhood, a you know, group of people, your friends, whatever, and one person had a grief they were dealing with or some kind of a loss, everybody would like rally around them and support them and help carry that loss, right? What's happening now is we're all experiencing loss. So our grief buckets are full. Everybody's individual grief bucket is full. And so we don't have the same ability to be able to show up well for people and help them carry that grief. And so people are carrying a lot of weight on their own without feeling support because we're just kind of passing all the grief around from one person to the next. And, you know, it's like students that ended the the year, you know, the school year and missed out on end of the school year stuff. And then they missed out on summer stuff. And now they're starting back to the school year and it's weird. Or people who, uh, some of my clients were online dating and relationships all of a sudden came to an end because they couldn't, you know, go out and see each other. And so there's, I think there's all these different ways that life feels different and feels um, you know, we're having to reinvent things and there's a sense of loss and grief about that. So that's part of, I think, this conversation that people are having is like things are hard. And I've, I've been saying to people, you know, they're hard because they're hard. They're not hard because you're broken or weak or have mental health issues. This is just hard stuff right now. And so I love that people are kind of going, hey, you know, let's get past the stigma of counseling and let's really ask for some help to be able to carry the hard stuff. And also I think when we kind of talked about this last time too, and it's just amazing, like, cause we can talk about it regardless. I think people feel alone in all this for whatever reason. Why is that? Obvious answer would be because people are alone. I think there are a lot of people that, especially in the sense of isolation, um, you know, separation, being at home a lot there, there is a higher level of loneliness and in, in being alone. I think the other piece is that we have this sense of trying to keep up this facade of like, everything's fine, I'm doing great, it's all good, when really that's not totally the case. Maybe that's true in some areas of our life, but it's not true across the board. And so there's a lack of, you know, when when there's a lack of vulnerability or, or you feel like you have to have this front up, you don't feel known. And that can feel really lonely as mm-hmm. well. So I think when we can push towards a sense of, real connection, true connection that comes from some vulnerability. People, even if they're in their house alone, they don't feel alone 
interpersonally with other people. Hypothetically, like, let's just say I have this friend and I know that there's this person definitely needs help, but this person doesn't know that I know that they need it. I want to reach out and help him, but I don't know how to help him. So I think the question is a good one. Like, how do we come alongside people who are in a really dark place? I think that we start by really leaning in and maybe leaning slash pushing past a place that's totally comfortable. So when we say, hey, how are you doing? And somebody's like, yeah, I'm good. There's that moment, right, of when we go, do I accept that or do I kind of push in, lean in a little more and go, no, but for real, like, how, how are you really doing? Um, and I, I think when we care about somebody and we sense that there's they're in a dark place or there's more going on to kind of go, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you're doing good. Also, how else are you doing? What else is going on? Um, and I think also, you know, we we're talking about this idea of vulnerability. I think part of that comes from sharing our own struggles. So like nobody wants to open up to somebody who feels really super bright and shiny and I don't have any problems, but please tell me all about yours. Like that's not a real comfortable exchange. One of the things that I make it a point to do in a first session with a client is to share with them that I have a therapist and that I go to counseling just to try to normalize the process, right? And so I think that's something we can all do for our communities is to start talking a little more openly about our own experiences with struggle or mental health issues, depression, anxiety, or our experience seeing a therapist. Because what I suspect and what I've experienced is the more you start talking about it, the more people kind of come out of the woodwork and are like, oh, yeah, well, I go to therapy. Oh, yeah, well, I have dealt with depression. Or, oh, yeah, well, I. And it's like, whoa, hey, we were all kind of hiding our issues and trying to keep up this front. And yet we're all human. And so we all have things we struggle with. And it doesn't come as a huge surprise that we can connect on those things. It sounds great in theory. I just know this individual very well. And it would almost be, I don't know if this person would be embarrassed because I'm not supposed to know. I don't want to embarrass this person, but I want the best for them as well. So see, but I think what you just said was so empathetic and so beautiful and so kind, you know, like I could imagine you saying that to them, you know, hey, this is probably weird. And this might make you uncomfortable, but I'm I'm willing to push past that because I care about you and I just wanted to see how you're doing and I know this thing that maybe I shouldn't, but I do. And so that caused me to want to check on you. Like mm. what a beautiful, kind, empathetic thing to say to somebody. Most of the time I find that people who are in a really dark place, they're not offended when somebody asks and really kind of leans in like that. They're really relieved to have somebody to talk to and who cares about them. It's one of those things because we talk about it and we see it and we hear about it. And then it. I feel like a lot of people just brush it off. But then when it happens to you or it literally affects you it, or when you're in the hot seat, it literally changes everything. Yeah, I, I always say to people, you know, you don't the words don't have to be perfect. I mean, even as a therapist, my words aren't always perfect. But I hope that they come with empathy and kindness and um, a sense of I'm in it with you, you know, and I think if we can offer that to the people in our lives and our communities, they they're going to be better off for it. And we're going to be better off for showing up in those hard, messy, awkward moments. 
I'll have to play back how you worded it because it sounded way better. And that's <laughs> and it's even super hard to talk about because, I mean, you even heard like I could barely put it into sentence because I don't know if this person listens and I don't know what they're going to say or think or so it's kind of tough. But, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, the stress and grief and what can you remind me again? What is what you think is not being talked about a lot? So I, I think one of the things that is important to kind of shift the conversation towards is what happens, we, we mentioned it earlier, but what happens when we carry stress for a long time? So so initially the conversation was like, hey, whoa, stress, we're dealing with a lot of stress. We can sort of push through in the short run, but this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And so what does that look like when we carry a small weight for a long time or a large weight for a long time? That's really different than what can we do to just get through a day or two or a week or three weeks or a month. Um, And so over time, remember, stress becomes crisis, crisis becomes trauma. We're, We're really starting to see people who are traumatized and dealing with some of the significant effects of trauma because this has been going on for so long. And so I think when you shift your mindset from this is a short-term thing to this is a longer-term thing, that then makes some of those things we were talking about earlier, the self-care, the coping resources become even more important. You know, it's like, um, you know, if you if you went to work out, you could do a sprint workout probably once and be fine, right? But if you were going to work out every day and do a long workout at the gym every day, you would need to be paying attention to to your form and your nutrition and like all the other pieces, your sleep and stretching and all the other pieces that help you do those workouts better over time. So this is where I think, you know, regrouping and going, okay, this is something we've been dealing with. It's probably something we're going to continue to deal with. How do I build my support team? How do I build up my resources so that I have the ability to go the distance? Do you ever recommend meditation? Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, because I I think that's one of those things people don't think about as much. And if they do, it's either too woo-woo for them or just it's, you know, like me, I've got a million things going on in my head anyway. So meditation's just like, wait, no, that's not uh, again. Work. Bring on the woo woo, right? Yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> bring There's it. an app um, called the Calm app that's really great. I think a lot of people have, have found it. It's become more popular, um, but it's been around for a while, and it's awesome. It you know you can start with a two minute meditation and work your way up. Um, and a lot of times I'll suggest that people just, you know, start simple, do a two minutes in the morning and two minutes at night. It doesn't have to be, you know, a silent retreat that you go on for three days if you're going to meditate. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't know how to meditate either. I promise it's the easiest thing. You just go on YouTube and how to meditate and just find <laughs> there's a million videos on how to there's do it. There's anything on YouTube that you could possibly want. I know. I always call it YouTube <laughs> University. But yeah, no, it's it's great. But And I want to be respectful of your time as well. But and you know, with all the talk about the stress and grief and everything like that, what would you say are the main, like if somebody is just super stressed out, whether they're in a relationship or not, and what are some super key factors? So two things. To de-stress. Three things. I'll say three things. The first one is sleep is one of the first things that I assess for people because sleep deprivation is a form of torture, right? So if people aren't sleeping, a whole lot of other things are going to come off the rails. So we got to figure out how to how to get people sleeping better. Again, do a Google sleep hygiene. There are a lot of sites and suggestions and things out there to help people figure out how to regulate their sleep. 
Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing is exercise. Hands down, best intervention that people can do quickly, easily. You don't have to run a sprint marathon. Good news. (laughs) All you have to do is get your heart rate up. So you could take a walk, you know, for 30 minutes. We got all the hills in Atlanta. Easy to get your heart rate up. Um, 30 minutes a day of exercise has been shown to be as effective for, for many people as a low dose of an antidepressant. So hands down, it's the best thing you can start doing if you're going to add something in. Um, the third thing I would say is what we've been talking about today, which is find a fantastic therapist. You don't have to go forever. You don't have to talk about things you don't want to talk about, you know, but I think just starting that process, most of the time people, the, the response that we get at the end of the first session is, oh my gosh, why didn't I start this sooner? Where has this been my whole life? So super helpful. And where can we find you online? Uh, We are at growcounseling.com and across all social media platforms on Grow Counseling. Awesome. And we'll put all that uh, information in the description below. So once again, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I would love your help. This podcast is brand new, so I need all the help I can get. If you would just subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating. I really, really would appreciate it. And last but not least, I got a little something for you. For the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group, On Camera Professionals. Once again, it is called On Camera Professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry. I got you covered. In this group, I'm going to be doing a live training, so that means live tips and tricks. I'm going to do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in On Camera Professionals, and I'll see you there.